Today's the last Sunday in our series on rest, and we've uh, been looking at this the last several weeks, and we started out by looking at Mary and Martha, uh, that Mary was the example that we uh, should all long uh, to be like, that Mary, that she just sat and listened to Jesus, and her sister Martha was busy, that she was distracted. And then we looked at how Jesus compares the burdens of our life. We can have the burden that he puts on us, and he says that's easy and light. And then there's the burden that we take on ourselves, that the world puts on us, that makes us weary and heavy laden. And we then, on the third week, look, how do we choose? We want to be merry. We want to have the easy and light burden. We don't want to be like Martha, who's distracted, who's busy, and who's weary and heavy laden. So how do we switch from one to the other? And we said that the way that transformation happens in our lives, that it happens through the Holy Spirit's power at work in us as we adopt habits. It's our habits that form who we are. And so today we're going to look at our third habit. We started out with looking at uh, the Sabbath, that the Sabbath is a 24-hour period that we take a week uh, to, to rest from our labors and to enjoy all the things that God has given us. And uh, then we looked at the, uh, the, the, the discipline of um, solitude and silence last week. And today we're looking at uh, the discipline of simplicity. So let's pray. Uh, Father, be with us now. As we open your word, we, we know that this isn't just a talk. This isn't just something, uh, these aren't just mere words from my mouth, uh, nor is this uh, 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 just for intellectual curiosity. But Lord, we know that uh, when your word is preached and your spirit attaches itself to the word, that real transformation happens in our lives. So Lord, I do pray, uh, Lord, that this would be so much more than instructive or inspirational, but Lord, that this would indeed be transformational. Uh, do this work in us now, in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, you guys know if you've been uh, here at our church for a long time or you've been friends with me for very long, uh, you know that I'm a documentary junkie. Uh, right now, I'm, uh, I'm in one on Garth Brooks, and I don't even like country music. But really, I watch any documentary, and one of my favorites of all time is one called The Minimalists. The Minimalist is about two guys. Uh, their names are Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus. And the two guys are uh, they're in their early 30s, and uh, they have six-figure jobs. They have large houses. They have luxury cars. And both of them at about the same time decide that they've had enough, that really they're terribly unhappy, and you guessed it, busy. So they quit their jobs, they sell their houses, they sell their cars, and they move to Montana. And they move to Montana and they write a book on minimalism. It's this whole movement, and they're not the only ones who are part of it. And it's become monstrously popular, not just between these two guys, but just the movement in general. And I think the reason that it's become so popular is that it's really hit on the sickness that exists in our culture See, the sickness comes from a false belief that we all have in the United States. And that belief could be called a gospel. And it's this. The more you have, the happier you will be. In the minimalist movement, and Jesus, by the way, calls that belief, the more you have, the happier you will be, the so-called American gospel, calls it into question. See, there was a study done by a psychologist and economist from Princeton. And they found that our overall well-being improves 
the more money that we make, the rise in our income. But it only does this to a point. After, the point, after that point, you either plateau in well-being or you decline. So what is that point? It's $75,000. It's $75,000 a year salary. It's like you hit some sort of ceiling and you can't get emotional well-being by having any more money. So why do we keep wanting more? Well, of course it's our sin-sick hearts, but it's also what's going on in our culture. See, most marketing, it really doesn't target the logical part of your brain. It targets the emotional, unconscious part of your brain, something much deeper. And this is what Sigmund Freud realized in the early psychology movement. And guess who picked up Freudian psychology? The Nazis. The Nazis found a way to fool the most educated country in the world by targeting the unconscious, deeper, emotional level of human beings. Well, you had Sigmund Freud's nephew a generation or so later. Uh, his name's Edward Bernays, and Edward Bernays moved from Austria, and he moved to the United States, and he coined the term public relations. He's called the father of American marketing. And guess what? He used his uncle's methodology for us in our capitalistic culture. And I think it's all made us very, very discontent. We're increasingly more and more unhappy because we try to get meaning from life by what we consume. So maybe secularism isn't the church's great enemy. Maybe it's shopping. We think if we just have a little bigger home, we, we don't want something that's twice as big as our home. We just want something that's just 20% bigger. We don't want this massively luxury car. We just want something that's a little bit nicer. We like our home, but just, just let us get one more home project in. Let us get just one more pair of Jordans. Let's just take one more vacation. And then, and then our life will have meaning. Does that sound like your inner dialogue? Because it sure sounds like mine. What should we do? What practice should we adopt? We should adopt the Christian discipline of simplicity. Let's read our passage today. It's Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13, that last verse I just read, uh, might be the most used, most quoted verse in our day. Tim Tebow loves it. See, the way it goes is I can do all things. I can score a touchdown. I can run a marathon. I can get straight A's through Christ who strengthens me. But what the Apostle Paul, who writes Philippians, is talking about, he's talking about much, something much more impressive than an athletic accomplishment. He's talking about contentment. Do you see it there in verse 11? In verse 11, he's saying that he's learned how to be content. 
not because he read a book, not because he discovered something that was latent in him, but he learned it from his life circumstance. And you see his life circumstance in verse 12. He was brought low. He faced hunger and he's been in need. That's true on the one hand. And then on the other, he's abounded and he's had plenty. So when he gets to verse 13, what he's saying is he's content with all different levels of income. He's good with being poor because it gives him the opportunity to pray. It gives him the opportunity to rely on other Christians. But he's good with having plenty because it gives him the opportunity of being generous. Doesn't that sound crazy? Who do you know that's like that? Who do you know that says, I've got plenty of money I don't need anymore? I don't know anybody. And see, that's what makes contentment at a heart level more impressive, at least to me, than scoring a touchdown. And the reason that I chose this passage to talk about simplicity is because you have to have contentment if you want simplicity. Contentment is something that happens at a heart level. And if contentment happens, then simplicity can grow out of that. And here's a definition of simplicity that I really liked. It's by a former pastor. His name is Joshua Becker. He wrote a book. And he said this, Simplicity is the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. See, I really like that definition because it acknowledges that this practice is about removal. That's tough. And it's a good place to start, especially with our physical stuff. Just watch Marie Kondo. But it's going to go further. You then, after you remove, you've got to then begin to set limits. See, simplicity goes on to say, this is all I'm going to keep. This is all I'm going to do. This is all I'm going to consume. This is all I'm going to spend. And it's at this juncture that you might start asking some questions like, well, can I take a vacation? Can I have a savings account? Is it okay to have a retirement fund? Does it matter what kind of car I drive? But I really think that those aren't the most important questions. The most important question is, what is most valuable in my life? Now, I'm really glad if you said Jesus, I'll clap for you even. But how do we really know? What does that look like? If Jesus is more precious to to us than our money, than our stuff, everything else is going to fall into place, but it gets confusing. You, You can't decipher between what you need and what you want. So how do you know? Let me give you a tip. Live near the poor. The poor are a prophetic presence in our life because their presence brings us to a healthy place of conviction. See, almost none of us think we're rich. We think, well, I know a few rich people, but I'm not one of those. I get it. That's where I'm at too. I, I say the same thing. But here are some hard numbers. If you make $25,000 a year, you're in the top 10% wage earners in the world. If you make $34,000 or more a year, you're in the top 1% wage earners in the world. 
Yet we still don't consider ourselves to be rich. And we are rich, but we're hopelessly out of touch with the way that many, especially people of color, live in our city. See, when you live close to the poor, the the conversation shifts from what we have to what we want and to what we need to what others desperately want to what others don't have and to what others seriously need. So in many ways, the discipline of simplicity is much like the discipline of Sabbath because both are calls for justice. They're not just ways for us to connect with God. See, here's what else simplicity calls for. It calls for a deliberate use, not just of our money, but also our time. See, think about if I were to buy a motorcycle. Now, I don't have a motorcycle. I, I've actually never even driven one or ridden one. I guess if I rode, some, uh, if I rode behind someone on a motorcycle, it would be pretty funny. Uh, but I have one. I, I've got a car. I've got a bike. I'm good. I'm pretty risk averse, too. Um, but if I were to buy a motorcycle, I've got a lot to think about. It might cost me more money. And if it costs me more money, and if it doesn't really fit into my income at the moment, then I want to pick up some preaching gigs on the side to help pay for it. I may not have the cash to buy it. If I don't have the cash to buy it, then I'm going to take out a loan, which I'm going to have interest on, which means I'm going to have to work more hours in order to pay for it. I'm going to have to clean it. That's going to take some time. If it breaks, I'm going to have to fix it. So you see what I'm saying? You can run this experiment not just on motorcycles, but on about anything. And it's true that our stuff costs us time. So the question really becomes, what's more valuable to you? Money and stuff? Or time and freedom? See, stuff equals less time, which means more hurry, and most of us have too much stuff to enjoy a healthy, unhurried pace in life. So does all this piqued your interest? You see how stuff and money has caused hurry in your life. You see how stuff and money has really leave you has really left you deeply unsatisfied. You see your own discontentment. And I think it's possible to have one of three responses. One is that you're inspired. You're going to go home, uh, or you are home. Uh, You're going to go on Netflix, and you're going to watch the documentary, The Minimalist, right now. You're going to get on Amazon. You're going to order that book by Joshua Becker. You want me to give you five tips on how to practice simplicity. That could be one response. Uh, Another response isn't just inspiration, but it's disinterest. I mean, you're like, Marsh, uh, there's no way. I grew up with money. I I, I have a good paying job. I don't have any examples of what this looks like. But truthfully, it just doesn't sound very appealing. I I love Jesus, and and, and I I think what he has to say usually uh, is a good idea. But when he starts talking about sex and fasting and money, I tune out because I just can't do it. So there's disinterest. I get it. And the third one, the third one's hopelessness. You hear this, uh, and you think it's just the thing that you need. It's just the practice that you need to adopt. But you don't have any real hope that anything's going to change in your life. 
you started disciplines like this before and you've just kind of fizzled out. You know you're really not going to live close to the poor. You're not going to be in close proximity to them. You've just resigned that you're going to live a crazy, busy, money-driven, stuff-filled life, and that is just the way it is. And all those responses are valid. I, I get the inspiration because our culture is sick and it's really obvious. I get the disinterest because Jesus' teaching about money is at direct odds with our view of money. I get the hopelessness because I've started plenty of things too and never finished them. But the gospel has the power to break through all of those shallow veneers. It's got a way of cutting through our false inspiration. It's got a way of cutting through our cold disinterest. It's got a way of cutting through the hopeless veneer. And the gospel pierces through our heart's outer shell to produce real and meaningful change. And real and meaningful change starts with acknowledging that we're desirous creatures. We have this appetite in the deepest parts of our soul that longs to be satisfied. And we all know, we all know that money and stuff, at least in the short term, can satisfy us. But it's like empty calories. We burn right through them and we get hungry. But the gospel comes along and says something different. See, in John 6, right after Jesus fed the 5,000, he uses that as an object lesson. And he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, Jesus alone can satisfy. He alone can cure your hunger pangs. See, he went to great lengths to offer himself to you. His body was broken in his death, and that's what he offers you. He died so that your soul wouldn't have to starve. So take and eat this bread of life. Do it today. Do it tomorrow. Do it the next day. And do it every day of your life so that you might be satisfied. And if you do take from Jesus, then that is going to enable you to live simply. So I know I said earlier that if you responded with some inspiration, that you just wanted some five tips. But if you don't put Jesus before the practice, this is just going to become a new legalism. But if you do put Jesus there, it's also possible you don't know how to start, where to start. Well, let me just give you, I will give you five tips. Uh, the first one is, before you buy something, ask, what is the true cost of this item? It forces you to ask questions like, can you afford it? Can you afford the cost, the care, the cleaning, the insurance, the maintenance? How much time is it going to cost you to own this item? How often are you going to use it? Will it help you enjoy God and his world more? Will it increase your ability to connect with others? What's it going to do to the pace of your life? Is it going to speed it up or slow it down? So what is the true cost of this item? First thing. Second thing, never impulse buy. If you see something you want, sit on it for a while. The more it costs, the longer you wait. 
never impulse buy. Third, budget. Uh, budgeting is about far more than getting out of debt. A budget is to your money what your schedule is for your time. Your budget ensures that you actually spend your money on the things that you treasure. Fourth thing, uh, call advertising what it is. It's propaganda. It's lying to you. It's not going to cure you. It's not going to satisfy you. Whatever they're trying to make you buy, they're just trying to get your money. It's just propaganda. Five, live in the tension. If you watch Jesus' life, he did spend time with people of means. He enjoyed a good meal. He didn't eat just rice. But uh, he also warned about the dangers of money right after or even during the mealtime. There's a tension. The same's for us. We live in this tension, but we should always err on the side of simple and less. Those are my five tips. Let me close with this. Because we've been experiencing all we've been experiencing uh, this past uh, couple weeks for some of us, but for others of us for our whole lives, we've been experiencing the, uh, the racial unrest. And the question I've gotten more than anything the last 10 days or so is, what should I do? What should I do? Now, what I'm about ready to give you is an answer. I'm not saying it's, uh, it's I know it's not the only answer. I don't even think it's the best answer, but it is an answer. But I know this, that whatever is important to us is always reflected in our money. See, simplicity for simplicity's sake is shallow, but when it's leveraged for God's purposes, something can really happen. And God's purposes certainly include helping peoples who have been deprived of so much. So maybe when that's the view uh, to your budgeting, uh, to your slowing down, to your weighing things out, maybe that'll give you the motivation that you need to start this very important discipline, the discipline of simplicity. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that we would have others in view as we see this. And Lord, that we would see uh, the great danger of money to our own souls, that it does keep us from enjoying you to the degree that you so long for us to enjoy you in. And so, Lord, I pray that you would heal us uh, even, uh, even just a little bit. Uh, but Lord, I pray we would grow as we think about how we relate to our money. We pray these things in your name. Amen.